0: And now another episode of Mind Escape with Michael and Maurice. Take it away, Michael.
1: All right, folks, welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. We have episode number 107 today. Uh, We're going to be continuing our Ancient Greece series. So this is uh, Ancient Greece Part 3, uh, The Sophists. If you are interested in this subject, uh, we did um, Part 2 was on Plato. Uh, Aristotle and Socrates and part one was on the pre-Socratic philosophers. Uh, so check that out. Uh, you can we'll check put us some th- links above. Yeah, we'll sure. put some links above. Check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash Mike and Maurice uh, for $2 a month. You'll get some exclusive content, interviews and audio. Um, check us out at our website, Mike and Maurice uh, mind And thank you to a few of our new Patreon members, uh, I believe we've have Chris Lee and uh, Mr. Ferretti. Thank you very much for your uh, pra- patronage and um, yeah. So that's uh, that's it. Also. If you like our uh, content, please subscribe to our channel. And if you're listening on. Smash
0: that like button. If you're
1: listening on uh, audio only on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever you're listening to, also subscribe and uh, leave us a nice little uh, review, if you will. So thank you on that. And uh, let's jump into it. Do it. All right. So the sophists. Here's a few. Things I always throw out there when we're talking about this kind of stuff some people might not know what it is some terminology Epistemology is the theory of knowledge. How do we know what we know ontology is the study of being? Um, teleology is the study of purpose and <clears throat> Most people might not know what a sophist is a sophist uh, or at least back then in ancient Greece was a type of a teacher uh that taught philosophy rhetoric mathematics music and athletics and some other things depending on uh like arts like sculpture and that kind of stuff um so again they were a type of a teacher during ancient the period of ancient Greece during the 5th and 4th centuries uh BC um always for pay uh whether they were giving a public speech or teaching students or tutoring Um, Some rich and powerful guy's kid. Uh, They were always uh, being paid. Uh, They were philosophers and intellects. Um, The sophists would basically teach these young men how to win uh, dialogues and debates using rhetoric, philosophy, natural science, and mathematics. Some would teach athletics and music, again, depending on what was going on. Plato's dialogue, Uh sophist, uh, was the first critique of what a sophist actually was, um, so before Plato's dialogues, sophists were not really thought of in like a, a negative way or um, like, oh, that guy's just doing that for money, kind of a thing, or he's got no virtue. He's just it's, yeah, they weren't it, criticized. They're just giving knowledge. They're they're teaching people how to win arguments and give them knowledge to do what they need to do, uh, but not. But ultimately, they're not leading these students to what Socrates or Plato or Aristotle would consider true knowledge. Um, Poo, 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 poo. They believed being a philosopher was something separate from being uh, a sophist. So again, Socrates, Plato and Aristotle um, are kind of saying, Hey, we're different in some ways than these people, even though a lot of the sophists are intelligent. um, They, Uh, they are teaching some of the youth. It's not, they're not teaching them in a way that is ultimately leading them down a path, uh, of, I guess, figuring stuff out themselves. They're just giving them what they need to know. Um, yeah, they're giving them tools to argue apparently. Yeah. Again, Plato, Socrates, Aristotle, they believed it lacked virtue since they were teaching these young men, um, rhetoric to be deceptive in dialogues and again, just to win the debate. So it keeps coming back to this common theme that there was this sole purpose of them doing that. And it was for either money or compensation.
0: It almost reminds me of those like, you know, like a lawyer that, uh, is always taking the, the sketchier cases. um, I would, they must. Have, they
1: must have had a couple of them that were it, bad. To, to, I would to generate to, these ideas. though. Yeah, I would equate it to some other things, but we'll get into that in a little like bit. Like a Better
0: Call Saul type, uh, and then they ruin the whole. They ruin it for the whole bunch, almost.
1: Yeah, but it's not. Ugh. I guess I get what you're saying about how in Better Call Saul, Saul's deceptive and he tries to. Um, He's taking more of the criminal
0: cases, even though. Yeah, he, I wouldn't he, he, even he say.
1: This, this wasn't criminal what they were doing though so but we'll again well, right. it's, it's more of like a moral ethical type of a thing um, uh-huh. so but it must be also pointed out that Aristotle could be considered a Sophist and a hypocrite right. since he was the paid hey. tut- he was the paid tutor of Alexander the Great. Um, he never actually accepted money from King Philip who was um, Alexander the Great's father. Uh, but what he did was his hometown was destroyed by King Philip's Stagira in uh, Greece and he he had King Philip like rebuild his, his hometown basically. So there was some sort of a compensation exchange, but it wasn't him accepting money or becoming rich. It was just, Hey, you ruined my hometown. Please come back and and fix it. And then I'll teach your son kind of a thing. Right. Right. Um, Again, and Athens was the main hub for all these Sophist as well as all a lot of the other stuff that was going on during the time all right going on the next one all right this is the first uh if Thales was the first uh pre socratic philosopher i they this guy's the first uh sophist and his name's Protagoras. Um, He's written about in Plato's dialogues. He's very well known in this time period. Is that where protagonist comes from? (sighs) That's a good question. I I honestly don't know. You can probably look look that up. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me, but there's also so many Greeks that have similar names There could have actually been a a Greek named protagonist. Uh... Okay, so Protagoras lived from 490 B.C. to 420 B.C. He was born in Abdera in Thrace. Uh, he was a pre-Socratic philosopher. Uh, he was the student of Democritus. Again, Democritus came up with the theory of atoms and this, this idea that these tiny particles um, create everything, which we know to be true on some level to this day. Um Democritus, the story goes, Democritus noticed um, Protagoras' geometry skills um, when he he made like a bundle of sticks and he noticed it was put together in these nice geometric uh, patterns and it was very clean. Um, So he took him on as a student and tried to uh, teach him, but he realized Protagoras was not a fan of mathematics. Um, That's a problem. Protagoras, he was a friend of uh, Pericles uh, he was also dubbed uh, as a sophist by Plato. Plato said Protagoras invented the role of being a professional sophist. Uh, let's see here. Protagoras, in Plato's dialogue, is a self-admitted sophist and called it an honorable ancient art that even Homer and Hesiod had practiced. Uh, it ends with uh, Socrates winning and insisting that all if all virtue is knowledge, then it can be taught. Again, we talked about that a little bit. Um, In part two, when we talked about uh, Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle, um, Protagoras is credited with uh, the first philosophy of uh, relativism based on um, his most famous quote, man is the measure of all things. This would suggest there is no absolute or objective truth and that everything is relative to the individual. Um, So that, that... you know everything's relative kind of you know people say that kind of stuff that's that's where this all originated from I mean maybe somebody thought about it before him but again that's what he's credited with but yeah the the man is the measure of all things is his most famous saying um, and, and again it's this idea that it's all relative to us individually because we're interpreting everything so right um, You can look more into relativism if you're interested in that subject. It's pretty interesting. Uh, Aristotle said Protagoras was criticized uh, for claiming to make the weaker argument stronger. So this would be that, again, as a sophist, they're using deceptive... um, Measures. Deceptive rhetoric. Yeah, they're, they're... they're teaching people again how to speak, or they're speaking themselves in a way that they're trying to win the argument, and right? Not, no matter
0: and, what's actually truth, they're and, giving them the, the faculties to fucking flip it,
1: right? And not necessarily, um, yeah, they're not necessarily trying to to teach them in that way. But so when he's, um, saying to make the weaker uh, argument stronger, again, it's just saying his his. Um, take on it is not as good as let's say Socrates but he's claiming that it is based on you know different things so in his book uh, on the gods uh, a treatise he wrote concerning the gods he said I have no means of knowing whether they exist or not or whether or what sort they may be Uh, many things prevent knowledge including the obscurity of the subject and the brevity of human life um, so he was a fan of, uh, agnosticism saying that there's no way of knowing the gods if they do exist. So that was kind of his take on it. Um, and for that matter, uh, a lot of these sophists were uh, like based it, basically what I would say <clears throat> is you were, you were equating them to better call Saul. I would equate them to, um, maybe some modern day tutors or even academics you know teachers and professors in college and stuff like that they're getting paid I, I i when i say that too i know teachers care about their students and they want them to do well that kind of a thing um, but there are a lot of teachers i would suggest that aren't it's a job to them you know they're right they don't hundred percent care whether this student is led down the path of enlightenment or true knowledge or whatever, so I could say that you know modern day tutors or some academics that don't have the passion for the um, the subjects or whatever might fall into this category because they're being paid and again if it depends on your intentions really but
0: yeah also how much
1: you're getting paid will
0: will sway you one way or another if you're getting tons of dough you're going to be very very into it
1: well it, well for sure i mean anybody getting paid i mean that well that's the thing that separated socrates and um plato and aristotle uh apart from a lot of these guys and again that's why plato separated certain pre-socratic philosophers and him and, and, and socrates and everything and separated himself or separated them from the sophists because there is a difference between their intentions of what they're doing. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on.
0: So you were saying that Socrates never documented any of his stuff, correct?
1: No. So he, Socrates, thought it was it would take away from um, the te- the teaching, the teaching and everything. Yeah, he thought that it was. S- i don't just almost like that's
0: weird because i would think it's the opposite because as soon as you pass it on to another person they're gonna put their own spin on it and so on well here's the thing
1: is oral traditions are huge because oral traditions is how we have gotten a lot of this mythology and um of course parables and allegories and whether it's from ancient times or stuff in certain ancient texts a lot of that stuff is from oral tradition. Somebody just wrote it down, but you're right, yeah, stuff could get lost in translation, stuff could get um moved around and 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 you know painted in different lights and and stuff like that. I would just say though, for that kind of stuff that again Socrates um didn't need to write anything down because Plato, his student did, so that was important with that. And there's a lot of debate over what Socrates actually said in certain instances. And exactly, Plato wrote certain like Hippias Major, whether that was 100% Plato, stuff like that. So there are again a lot of this stuff is kind of ambiguous because there's no really way of knowing. And uh, think about that. That's this is only you know fourth, fifth century B.C. Imagine that we're still trying to interpret stuff from ancient Greece, or I mean uh, ancient Egypt and oh yeah just, had, just did that episode on gobekli tepe so there's it's it the further you get away from it the harder it is to put yourself in that mindset and that consciousness and then the more stuff's lost through time and um
0: oh and yeah and the piggyback on that i think it was our uncle was talking about how the way they talk it may have just have totally different meanings even to the words that we are able to transcribe yeah so that's we don't know you that's know a like, good,
1: that's a good point um and actually, there's a cool that's what that movie arrival is with that alien yeah yeah uh, where when you start to think like these aliens, you start to your mind starts to process things in a different way, and time you know for that for them time wasn't linear and that kind of stuff i wouldn't I'm not saying that, but what you're saying could be something along the same lines where talking in a different format or something it might have had a different effect on your consciousness some are good. Gonna... Well, just
0: think about like slang that's an easy way to break it down right you say or something's hi- bad even looking at like a hieroglyph
1: good. it could mean like 10 different things so right okay so uh gorgias um he lived from 483 B.C. to 375 B.C. That's right. This dude supposedly lived to be 108, like... 108 years old in ancient times, which is crazy. I know.
0: I'm doing the math in here. I was
1: like, yeah. Oh, He's <laughs> got a nice little life there. I'm sure there's some debate around that, too. Again, a lot of the stuff's ambiguous. But So, pre-Socratic philosopher, sophist, and uh, rhetorician, he was from... Uh, and people, I should put that in the terminology, a rhetorician is somebody that specializes in rhetoric. Um, I'm sure most people picked up on that, but I just wanted to point that out. He was from Sicily. Uh, he was a student of Empedocles. Uh, we mentioned him a couple times during the pre-Socratic episode, I believe. Uh, he is considered the father of sophistry, where Protagoras might have been you know, the first or whatever um, gorgias was kind of like the top dude that that did it he's kind of like the socrates of sophistry Um, all right he was credited with the idea of paradoxical thought and expression he also developed some rhetorical uh innovations involving structure he developed and taught a distinctive style of speaking and he was good at speaking so a lot of these sophists were um really good speakers that was part of it they could teach people how to uh, um publicly speak and some of we'll get into there's some of them that started to get into the political realm of things and um but yeah so and there's a debate over whether he was a nihilist based on some scholars interpretation of his work um the, with the thing that they bring up is this thing called uh, uh, on non-existence um and it's like a, a lost, um, a lost piece uh, that he wrote, and it says first that, first that nothing exists. Second that even if it exists, it's in uh, inapprehensible to humans. And third, that even if existence is apprehensible, uh, it certainly cannot be communicated or interpreted to one's neighbors. So it's like saying life's infathomable. There's no way of understanding it and there's really um but in a way we know like a nihilist is more you know yeah. modern modern days it's it's considered something a little bit different which we talked about in the metaphysical episode that we did
0: so he do, he did or he did not believe he, in well, it,
1: god no well he's it's like no. again it's one of those things where it's probably not the case there's no he's sees no way of understanding or knowing and just like how um, Protagoras was more uh, agnostic in the sense that he's saying that there's no way to ever know. Gorgias is saying there's no way to even know what's what at all, pretty much. Um, it's pretty interesting. His uh, rhetorical works are an encomium of Helen, which is like a, deve- a defense of Helen. Of, so, so Helen of Troy is considered this like evil woman who launched a thousand wars and yada, yada, yada. We've all heard it. Um, in his encomium on Helen is like a defense of her. So he's saying, I'm so good at rhetoric, I can now, um, even defend Helen of Troy, which nobody could have done, pretty much.
0: Yeah, isn't that Angelina Jolie?
1: I don't know. Watch. There a. There's she a was in Troy. Oh, yeah. I don't. I forget that. I haven't seen that movie in a long time. Um, defense of, uh, Palamedes, he wrote, and, um, the Ephesta Phios uh, or is it Efe- uh, Epheta Pheos, I think that's how you pronounce that. Uh, Plato named one of his dialogues Gorgias based on a Socratic dialogue uh, where sophists are at a dinner party. Um, <coughs> and again, this is one of the common themes is Plato going back and forth with the sophists throughout all the dialogues. And Gorgias turns up in... Um, a decent uh, amount of the dialogues. I think he's like Mino's teacher, I believe, and he makes Mino even dumber than he already was. Um, And yeah, there's, again, he's got his, there's a a dialogue called Gorgias, and there's also, um, he's popping up here and there and there, so... Uh, good stuff. Again, if you haven't read Plato's dialogues, there's some good stuff on there. Obviously most people know the Republic, but Gorgias is probably one of the better ones in my opinion. Um, and I mean, I guess it just depends on what interests you with all this, but so yeah, he was the, he was the top dog. He was, you know, if, if, uh, let's see here, if Socrates is um, God, then this dude would be the devil, and not in the sense that he's just evil. He's just adversarial.
0: Um, well, he promotes all the stuff that uh, Socrates was against,
1: pretty much. But again, they ha- they
0: not that they're good or bad,
1: right? It doesn't seem I like think, this uh, is that evil. I think there's a level of respect, obviously, though, um, in in what they're trying to do, like Socrates and Plato. They understand what's going on, and I think that. You know, I'll talk about some of these guys. Some of these guys are a little bit dumber than other ones, and some of them are more respected than other ones, and they they have different you know levels of what Plato. Not that Plato's the end all be all, but that's how we know a lot of, about all these people is because of Plato. So,
0: oh. I just wanted to correct Angelina Jolie is not in Troy. <laughs> my my bad.
1: <laughs> We're trying to do a serious conversation about Sophus, and this kid's bringing up Angelina Jolie. Right. Well, there's
0: a ton of movies made about this stuff, and yeah. they're probably not that accurate. So, no, I, I, you know,
1: yeah, I get it. All right, Prodicus. So, Prodicus lived from 465 BC to 3- 395 BC. Uh, he was from Chios or Sios. I don't know how you pronounce that, and came to Athens as an ambassador and to teach. Uh, he was a philosopher, speaker, and sophist. Uh, ethics and linguistics were a major part of his teachings and speeches. Uh, some have suggested his influ- he influenced Socrates in some way. Uh, again, probably the ethics and lingu- linguistics part of it. Um, Plato treated Prodicus better than any of the other Sophists and had great respect for him. So again, this is going back to what I just said. There's certain sophists where they are respected by Plato and, and Socrates and uh Aristotle, and then there's other ones that they don't care for much at all. Uh we'll get to some of the ones they don't care for, like Hippias and stuff like that. So um, but yeah, he, he uh Plato kinda held him to a different level than the other ones. Uh his most he's most famous for his speech, the choice of Hercules, uh Heracles so that's most something most people won't know um in ancient greece the peop- the person we know as hercules was actually named heracles and through the roman empire they changed his name to hercules and it became more of a universal myth and in legend um of uh of him the premise is hercules is becoming a man and has to choose one of the two paths of life either virtue or vice um he believed the gods were personifications of the sun, moon, and other natural pheno- uh, natural phenomena. And, uh, yeah, so not much about a lot of these sophists. Um, again, what we know is a lot of it's from uh, Plato. I think Xenophon's memorabilia has some stuff in there. So it's just one of those things where... um. There could be n- swayed one way or yeah, well another. Just, there's just not a ton of information to paint the full picture on some of these people. And there's even less information on some of the other people we're going to get to, as you'll see. But um, So
0: most of these dudes lived at the same time, Plato and Orgius? Uh, either Orges. a little bit before
1: or a little bit after. Well, So the Sophists um, kind of came around. So what led the way for Sophists would be like what we talked about during the pre-Socratic episode would be this idea of like Ionian physics, which is more of that natural phenomena is um is at the core of what's going on as opposed to let's say like plato's forms where there's all this metaphysical talk where do you get what i'm saying like uh-huh Ioni, ionian physics and like more of these natural sciences le- le- led the way for these sophists to come around and say oh i know this about the world or this is what we know kind of a thing. So it's like using what we know. Again, I would equate it to being a modern educator or academic. And then there's a lot of good academics out there that care that aren't this, but there's some that are, that are using what we know today to make money and also help young people win arguments, get jobs, do all these different things. And so it it becomes kind of a, a gray area thing, in my opinion, where you know, it's needed. Young people need jobs. Young people need to learn these skills, but there's, it's, when you go back to ancient Greece, it was like one guy teaching one person at a time or a couple people at a time, or maybe one dude speaking in a small crowd. There was a lot more like personal attention, you know right. what I'm saying? So yeah, there, it's different now you have so many people, it's hard, I'm sure to care that much and keep track. Well, that's
0: the of biggest them. problem in the school systems, especially around my, my around me in Detroit. It's, the the, the teacher to student ratio, and then you don't get, like you said, you don't get the attention and you probably don't learn as well Uh -uh. if it's a class of 30 or a class of 10.
1: Yeah, and again, it's not, it's nothing personal. It's just when you divide the time of one person between 30 individuals and then you have seven of those classes a day, it becomes a little, a little crazy.
0: Right, plus, you know, the population's growing, that just... That's a good a good reason to get into
1: the teaching industry. And, I'll, again, I'll point it out, too. It's not even necessarily that the sophists were bad people. Some of them didn't do, like, had, you know, bad intentions, but some of them were just good dudes that just wanted to get paid for their knowledge or to help people um, speak better and win arguments and that kind of a thing. So it's a gray area. And that's guess, just like all humans. Yeah, again, it's you a get, gray area. But, again, Plato did that for a reason where I do think there are people with true intentions. Okay. So we started this podcast to what was the, what was the basis I said from the beginning? Let's, let's get the friend, you know, let's go to, to, um, explain
0: things that science cannot,
1: ex- that, and have smart people on that are part of, um, a part of community. Well, no, it's just, let's have people on that are interesting. Um, whether they're academics or fringe researchers or people that have had weird experiences or whatever, and just put credible information out there um, because there's a lot of BS. So, But the whole point of this was to put information out there that we think is valid. Now, we could be wrong. I'm not claiming that what we're putting out there is right or the right path or anything like that. But just I think on my own path of enlightenment, these are important things to know and learn. How does the mind work? Where do our modern thoughts come from, that kind of stuff? So that's why we're talking about this. And, uh, I think our intentions were, were true and good. And, and, you know, we, we have our Patreon and things like that. We're, we're asking for donations. We're not requiring them. So, right. Well, that's
0: secondary to the learning. So that's good.
1: And again, this is our journey. And if I'm glad people are hopping along on the ride for it. And, um, Again, we we appreciate people listening and stuff because this is just the stuff that interests us that we want to know and we find it flattering that people are actually taking notice and enjoying the ride themselves. So. For sure. All right, let's go to Hippias. So this is one of the dudes that isn't really... Um, he wasn't really well-liked, you could say. He lived during the late 5th century B.C., He was a a philosopher and rhetorician. He uh, had a wealth of knowledge, um, and uh, he was a peer of Socrates. He would teach and lecture on grammar, history, mathematics, poetry, and politics. Uh, Plato thought he was uh, arrogant, self-centered, and uh, wrote the dialogues Hippias Major and Hippias Minor based on those qualities that he had, especially I think Hippias Minor was specifically more about him being um, kind of uh, vain, I guess it would be a good word. Uh, He was credited with the concept of natural law um, and the idea that natural laws are objective and universal and independent of human understanding. So again, this is another dude that thinks, um, you know, the the law of nature kind of a thing that there's all these laws that are governing what happens, whether we're here or not, if that makes sense. Hmm. Do you get what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, kind of.
1: Some would argue that without, uh, without the observer, which would be us, we're the only living things in the universe that we know of, right? Uh, uh-huh. that are intelligent other than the animals and stuff like that. But just take us for an example if we didn't exist, he's saying that stuff would still exist. Well, there would be an argument. Well, for instance, um, I'm trying to think of how to. So
0: yeah, like if a tree fell in the woods. Okay, so
1: that's that's a good example. So if a tree fell in the woods, we know that without humans, it would just be vibrations. You need humans' ears which pick up vibrations and transmute it into the sound or the noise that we're hearing as a frequency without us it's just a, it's just vibrations it's just energy yeah so it's, it's so if a tree falls in the wind there's nobody here does it make a sound no it doesn't make a sound but it makes vibrations okay um let's see here but yeah so his his he's basically saying he's like a materialist he's saying that the only thing that exists and um is is matter and matter is governed by all these natural laws and they're universal and they exist independent whether we were here or not so that could
0: uh, apply to the simulation theory
1: um no i don't think so because it's it's not well again that's dicey because what is a simulation
0: well I'm I'm just saying that there's something set up and there's there's for, rules
1: to it. Again for a simulation we've talked about this for a simulation to even exist, it has to be a copy or a recreation of something that already exists. Okay, yeah. So you can't just come up, oh it's a simulation. Well what is it a simulation of?
0: Well when you say like the the that things apply to rules, that's what I kinda think of, that there's something that's been implemented well, could... and then within that world or universe certain laws apply. Okay, so
1: doesn't... you could look at it like, okay, so I guess maybe you're programming a video game, okay? The natural laws would be in the video game would that's be that about. that dude can only jump this high, and he can only jump at this angle, and he can only – so if you want to look at it like that, I guess that would be a good analogy, but it's not – It's the simulation theory is actually a lot different than what I'm saying. But
0: Okay. That, well, no, but that's that's what I think about because then when, when you talk about people that you're like, why did this person die or why did this person – get you know a disease or something if there is a god well he, he created this 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 world for us to live in right now all the things that happen inside that world he cannot he can't mess with if you're gonna you know do get, get hammered and go drive your car then the you might pass away right he doesn't have control over that he just put the building blocks in play and then from there we run with it but he can't mess around with the video game once it's already set up.
1: Yeah, again, this is just saying that there's, there's these natural laws. So, like, gravity, if I throw my phone up in the air, it's going to fall. Right. And whether I'm here or not, let's say an animal tossed or flung something up in the air, it's going to happen whether we're there or not. That's, yeah. that's, it's, there's a physical world outside of our, independent of our being, and that the things are governed by certain laws is what it's saying.
0: Okay. Does that make so sense? So there doesn't, yeah, there doesn't need to be the observer for the things to happen around it.
1: Right. I mean, that's a whole different other story because you can go down the rabbit hole with that one. Is does anything even need to exist for this thing to still be there? And nobody, you can't answer it. There's no way right. to answer it because even if everything's here now and we're observing it, we wouldn't know what would happen if nobody was. There.
0: Not observing it.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Strange.
1: Um, and okay, so yeah, he wasn't well Hippius wasn't well liked. Um uh Plato wrote Hippias Major, Hippias Minor. He also there's some that suggest that Hippias' knowledge, while he had like a ton of it, uh was superficial and it lacked depth in subjects. So you could say that maybe since he was um he had such a wealth of knowledge and it was spread so far um, over different subjects that maybe he overextended himself and didn't really understand some of them is how I would interpret that. And I, I look at that now. Um, I try not, I try to avoid that myself. So it's, we, we, so this podcast, we do a d- decent amount of different topics. Most podcasts have one specific focus, whether it's, if it's a comedy podcast, everybody's trying to be funny. If it's a, uh, philosophy podcast people are just talking about philosophy the whole time we cover philosophy psychedelics the mind consciousness um, space the universe uh, ancient civilizations esoteric st- you know we cover so many different things that when I learn one of these so we you know we're doing this series on ancient Greece this is what I was reading at the time. I was reading all the books. I was doing all the research. I was also listening to Audibles and different translations on things. So you want to get a good overview of the subject. But if you know, I've listened to plenty of podcasts, and sometimes there's people that skim over stuff, or you can tell that they don't have a tenuous grasp on what they're talking about. So um, right. we try not to do that. I I, I push myself not to right. do that. It's, it's it would be easy to just pull one of these topics up and just start talking about it. But it's a, it's another thing to actually research it and kind of go through it the way that we're going through it systematically. The reason why I'm doing that with these slideshows is to, um, so people can look at the visuals if you're on YouTube and if you're listening, um, it's something interesting to listen to in somewhat of a chronological order and systematic order.
0: So, oh, for Sure. Yeah, and then you have the document to go back to if you need to touch up on things.
1: Yeah, but again, um, he just he he most likely was kind of like a jack of all trades, so you can be good at like a uh, hundred things, or you can be great at like one thing. What do you think about that as far as right. that kind of stuff goes? Do you think it's better to be really really good or great at one thing, or do you think it's good to have like a general base?
0: I don't know, I I wrestle with that all the time between landscape photography, writing the comedy, this show, but I, I think the human brain can handle a lot of things. Um, I think the human brain's capable of doing stuff that we're not even fully tapped into at the moment, but at the same time, if you look at people that are great, we'll take like a Marlon Brando or... Uh, actually Jared Leto would be a good example because he's a really good actor, but you know, is he a very good musician? Some people would say yes. Some people would say no, but he, I, I I think most people would agree that he's not as good of a musician as he is of an actor. So even if you do wear a lot of different hats, you're usually going to gravitate towards one thing. Um, that being said, you can be good at a lot of different things, especially with art, such a big umbrella. Jim Carrey is a phenomenal Actor, and he also is a pretty damn good painter. So, when you're do creating art, if you but figure out com- how to tap he's a, into that, truly
1: a comedian though.
0: Well, yeah, that too. But I've seen him in some serious movies, uh, like The Truman Show, when he's yeah. in, under that, he's playing a real role. He's pretty dang good at it. So, I think that he's actually been able to tap into the artistry. Whether he's playing Man on a Moon, you know, and he's taking the embodiment of uh, what was that guy's name?
1: Oh, uh, the Andy, guy f- from Kaufman. Taxi.
0: Andy Kaufman, if I you know. watch the documentary about that, this guy really got into that role. So I just feel like whatever he dives into, he goes balls to the wall. And uh, I think you're, it's possible to to be good. It's rare, but I do think you could be good at a lot of different things. But you were saying be great. I think you got to spend those 10,000 hours on something so yeah, to I, really become a master.
1: I've really been thinking about that too. Um, while I agree with you on, uh, on that one point that, to truly be like next level you got to really focus on that one thing i think it can also be detrimental in in some ways and i'm just going to point that out so like if you are for you know me i mean i would be obsessive i've been obsessed my whole life i wanted to learn guitar i'm going to sit there for seven hours and i did and i got pretty good and you know we're playing in bands and playing out live a lot and and um really molding my skill after who I thought were some of the best people and then trying to push that. The problem with that is is you can go down that that rabbit hole where you're it's so intense and you're doing it so much that the rest of your life lacks. Um and you become less inspired. So as a musician, I'm sure you know this. The more you like practice certain songs or maybe you're writing a song and it's just becoming frustrating um you kind of lose a little bit of the creativity as where if you put it down let's say i was trying to learn a song i couldn't figure it out i put the guitar down i go <coughs> i go out or i go to work or i go to the park or something i come back and oh all of a sudden it's it's comes easier to me and i think that's how you would look at that is a lot of these things in life where it's almost like a nice mix is better in my opinion from what i've been um doing I, I love music and uh i still once in a while will play the guitar um
0: yeah i think you can bet be uh worn out with something for sure look at jerry seinfeld he talked about it well when he was making seinfeld he was so intensive that he pretty much burned himself out on it and he hasn't made a show set well he has the that comedians and cars thing but that's just a whole nother it's not on a set right it's more free flowing and things like that but yeah, I think you can wear yourself out. Music's really hard because if, when you're working on a song day in, day out and you hear it a million times, the magic from that tune's gone. So then you really have to have kind you really have to trust your instincts that the song's even good in the first place because right. the beauty of it's kind of thrown out the window. Same thing with jokes. You tell right. a joke, you start crafting the joke, you got to really believe in yourself because the 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 joke, the laugh, the magic behind it goes out the window after
1: you hear it 50 times. So well, no. And, yeah, it's interesting. It, it, but it, again, it comes back to this thing where it's like, do you you know, do you want to be the the Michael Jordan of something or do you want to be, um, you know, some some dude that's, you know, I don't even know who to like a. Uh, Rick Fox, where you're a basketball player. Now that's a bad example because he wasn't really that good at basketball. But it just somebody. Okay, so like some high school basketball. Well, when I coach. say Michael Jordan, you know this guy. He was first of all naturally talented, but then he also the hours. I'm sure that he must have put put into all the little the little moves and the little uh, uh, little. Uh, yeah, fakes I mean they were talking and, about Kobe Bryant wouldn't leave. Oh, Kobe Bryant, too. New- Great example. These these dudes were masters of their craft, and they put in the time, and they put in the hours, and it showed off. You know, they... Uh, or it paid off. They've won... You know, both won tons of championships, and they did an amazing job where Michael Jordan might be considered the best. Kobe Bryant second best and they both had incredible work ethic. So, I think work, eth- work ethic is definitely part of it. That's a skill. Well, it's like it is everybody a, it is a, a skill like- in itself. I I don't I personally, I have to push myself. I don't have good work ethic and I don't think that's a secret to anybody that actually knows me in real life um we do this show and I because it's my passion right now, I definitely put more effort into uh this than any of the other extracurricular stuff I do, but at the same time, you know, it's just one of those things where, um, you're right. It work ethic is work ethic itself is a, actually a good skill to have. And it's something that you have to work at. I think, I don't, I don't know if people are born with that, to be honest. Well, the first thing
0: I would say is figure out what, what you're have some kind of inkling at. So if you can draw, you know, a bird pretty accurately, you go, Oh, I'm a pretty good artist. That's step one. Now to become a da vinci or monet you got to really take it to the next level that's when this pro procre- this persistency of the of your skill comes in so it's not just being okay at it because someone that's worse of a drawer and at, at first than you they might have that other skill of putting in the hours and crunching and, and put really crunching down and and putting in the effort then they'll pass you sooner or later so it's it's the weighing of both those things. Obviously, Michael Jordan. Hey, he was decent at basketball, or he was he was better than decent. He had a, he was good. He was decent. He had an affinity. He had an <laughs> affinity for it. No, but was it wasn't he the one that like didn't make his like high school team or yeah, something? Yeah, yeah. So but, obviously, there was a point where it's it, the, the the skill has to meet the work, and that's where these people excel at. Because otherwise, I think that, I mean I, that's what I think the real gift is. Because there's so many people in the world, I, I truly think that everybody could be great at one thing. But it, it comes down to the point where, what are you going to do on a Friday night? Are you going to sit there and, and shoot a million three throws, or are you going to go out with your friends and have some brews? Right. That's where the that's where the the the, the genius comes in. Right.
1: No, I I hundred percent agree. I've always, you know me, I've always been that kind of person. You know, I've never uh-huh. been a real big partier, or Even during our party days, I was always kind of.
0: You know, well, I'm not saying going out and having a brew once in no, a while. No, but you know, but for after. for
1: years, when you, no offense, but when you were party partying, I mean, this is I was doing this kind of stuff, not necessarily this specifically, but um, whether it was playing the guitar and playing in bands and practicing a few times a week or recording music or you know all that kind of stuff. While well, you were doing that, that's what I was doing, and I'm not doing any of that now. So it's almost like a waste of all that time and energy but I think that's part of what you like what you're saying is like there is this one thing that everybody is good at or can do and I for music I felt like I was good but I wasn't good enough to be one of the greats and it's so hard to get discovered as as it is to then think that you were going to get discovered um even if you're good is, is a different story I know people that are phenomenal at the guitar that don't even play in front of people so it's just one. Of those oh, probably
0: stuff. some of the best musicians are the ones we don't even know about
1: exactly oh i when i worked at guitar center uh when i was younger there was there'd be six-year-olds coming in that were better than some 30-year-olds sometimes that had been playing for 20 years and there were some people that just would blow your mind from time to time you're like how are you not famous um uh-huh. so, so that exists out there for sure we got off topic though so let's get back on here we'll go to the next slide so, it's Hip the Friday Ram with Mike and Maurice. So, Hippius, not a good dude. All right.
0: And I love bringing the words back. Is that where hippie came from? No.
1: You think everything is derived? Like <laughs> Greek is just the basis for everything. Um. So, pronounce this guy's name. I'll give, I'll give you a guess. Um, it,
0: it, trust me, bro. I, you don't want All right. this dyslexic man over All right. here.
1: So the, now we've come to Thrasymachus. Okay? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Thrasymachus lived from about 459 BC to 400 BC. Um, he was from, uh, Chalcedon or Chalcedon. His name translates to savage or fierce fighter in ancient Greek. Um, most of his life was spent as a sophist in Athens. Plato noted him as a su- successful rhetorician in the Phaedrus, um, which is a play, you know, one of his dialogues. Uh he was also a character in Plato's Republic who was portrayed as willing to say anything to defend his position. He was very violent um in a, you know, towards um Socrates. He also demanded payment before responding to Socrates, so that's that's a real sophist right there. Oh yeah, Um, and Aristophanes or Aristophanes, I'm sorry, or is it Arist? Yeah, it's Aristophanes. Um, Made reference to him in one of his uh, plays, I believe.
0: So there Uh, still could be there. This guy could be real or false. What do you mean? Based on uh, he was a character in two of these.
1: No, okay. So, when I say character, I mean these. He really lived, but Plato wrote these dialogues as what he would imagined have happened if Socrates had entered into a dialogue with Thrasymachus or Protagoras uh, okay. or one of the. He took like the personality of these people and who they were, their essence, and then intertwined it into his writing. Had a fictional story. Well, about it was basically it. yeah, all of Plato's. Dialogues all have Socrates, and he's all always going back and forth with a lot of these sophists. Some of them are students, some so- sophists, some um, other people, politicians. it just depends. So he
0: uses Socrates as a vehicle to in- to interject his views, correct?
1: Yes, and he even critiques himself in some of um, some of the uh, some of the the dialogues. So there's like one where you'll even critique his own theory of forms and what what that means is it real that kind of a thing so um he critiques other people he critiques himself he critiques socrates in some you know some parts so it just depends but yeah he's well taking... that's
0: good that he's not so full of himself that he can't poke into his own views no
1: but that's again that's this idea of true knowledge and and that's where a lot of these sophists would would kind of come undone is when Socrates would start using, applying the Socratic method and getting them deep down um, the hole and he would catch them on something and then he would question that and then they would ultimately be kind of cornered and be faced to either admit that they're wrong or they would divert. And uh, so again, it's just one of those things where, oh, well, you were asking about Plato writing, but so again, Plato wrote all these they are characters, but they're based on people. So that's, that should answer your question. And and some of them are ambiguous. There's plenty of these people that I've looked up where it's like, um, this guy may or may not have existed, but if he did, this is when he would have lived. And it's, it's, it's one of those things. So,
0: well, I was just thinking maybe that could be the case with, uh, thermatic. What's his name? (laughs) Thermatic through Simicus, just because he's a, he's a character in a multiple different stories. Yeah.
1: No, I don't know. Again, when I'm, I that's what I meant by character. So no, but that's good that you pointed that out because some people probably listening that have no idea. All right. Uh then we get to Lycrophon or lysrophon Uh he was a student of Gorgias. Uh Aristotle called him a sophist. Aristotle also mentions him in uh, Aristotle's uh, treatise Politics. Um, He may have been one of the first proponents of the of a social contact theory. Um, He said communion is the cause of the unity of knowledge and the soul. Um, He pondered whether part and the whole are are one or more than one. So that's kind of confusing, but I guess it makes sense when you read it. He pondered whether the part and the whole are one or more than one. So that's an interesting way to think about it. So if you took the Earth and then the universe, is that one or is that more than one, I guess, kind of the thing. That's how I read that. All right, let's move on here. That one didn't have much beef, but we'll get to... uh, this guy uh Antiphon uh lived from 480 BC to 411 BC he was from Romnus. uh he was known as Antip- Antiphon of Romnus or Antiphon the Orator uh he was the first of 10 Attic orators and uh logographers he went uh a log- logographer is somebody that like writes speeches for people uh i should put that in the terminology too he was active in the political scene in Athens. He was a statesman and a rhetorician. Uh, he may have invented giving political speeches in front of people, so he might have been one of the first guys to get up in front of a audience or a group of people and speak on politics. Um, let's see here. There, uh, There is a long-standing controversy over whether he is the author of some of the uh, Sophistic works, including a treatise called Interpretation of Dreams. Um, some suggest there was another antiphon. Um, so I guess, I mean, this is saying that antiphon, there could have been two antiphons. This antiphon that was good at speaking and political speaking and writing speeches and stuff. And uh, a different anathon that was more of a sophist, probably probably teaching something along those lines, but it could be him too. Again, this is the ambiguity or am- ambiguity that I was talking about before with all this stuff, where you can cross references. You know, you can look at uh, Wikipedia, you can look at the Britannica, you can look at some of the uh, the commentaries and the, the Audible stuff and all that. it it, it all kind of circles around the same information uh let's see here he was a professional speechwriter for incompetent people so if somebody had to speak in front of people he would help them that kind of a thing for pay um
0: that's still going on today
1: yeah yeah i mean most of the politicians i assume have speech writers i'm sure oh, th- yeah. there are some that write their own but i would imagine. well they
0: definitely have an editor i know that
1: yeah um, so that's that dude. And here we get to Cratylus, one of your favorites. Yeah, baby. Um, we mentioned Cratylus a couple times during the pre Socratic episode. Um, he lived in the mid to late fifth century. Some suggest he was somewhere around the age of Socrates or Plato. Um, according to Aristotle, who mentioned Cratylus in his treatise Metaphysics. Plato was interested in Cratylus' philosophy before he found Socrates. So, uh, Cratylus had somewhat of an um, impact on Plato. Uh, he was a student and a fo- uh, follower of Heraclitus. Uh, Heraclitus's teachings and philosophies. In Plato's dialogue Crat- Cratylus, he and Hermogenes ask uh, Socrates. If names are natural or conventional, and whether language is meaningless or uh, to do is is meaningless, or do words have some intrinsic connection to the things that they represent? So he in Plato's dialogue, he's talking about how he's asking Socrates. So your name's Maurice. Is there some quality of your being that connects to this word Maurice, or is it just some arbitrary bark? Yeah. It's a good, good thought. Um, And for that matter, we've talked about this too, is language that is in the same boat is language. Does it even mean anything or is it just this um, thing that we participate in that organizes and creates and that kind of thing? So um, Heraclitus claimed that one can, we talked about this uh, in our pre-Socratic episode Heraclitus claimed that one cannot step twice into the same stream. Cratylus took this idea even further and stated that it could not even be done once, uh, according to Aristotle. So, um, Aristotle said that Cratylus was saying that, because Cratylus was a big fan of Heraclitus, but Cratylus is saying that you can't even step in the same river once, meaning, I think you know what that means, but if not... So, Heraclitus is saying once you step into the 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 river or the stream uh and you take your foot out and you put it back it's not the same stream right um and Cradles is saying that the first time you put it in there it isn't even the same stream cuz i don't know what his uh his idea was but i mean if you think about it water's always rushing it's never this one thing it's always it's constantly changing so um Cratylus's philosophy has been influential on a lot of Eastern philosophy. Um, so again, he uh he had a big impact on people. Um not a ton known about him, but that's pretty much the, the gist of uh his uh his info. And uh finally we get to the second uh sophistic. So uh that was the first wave. Yeah, that was that was the first wave. So we have all of the ancient Greeks from, like I said, the fourth and the fifth century BC, um, and then there was kind of a revival um, after. So there was a revival of Sophism during the first and second centuries AD after Rome overthrew the Greek Empire uh, at the Battle of Corinth in 146 BC. Um, the second Sophi, or you know, the revival of Sophism. Uh, the focus was um, oratory and rhetoric. So, uh, po- again, political speaking and rhetoric were were kind of the main the main uh, hubs of this revival. Um, it was a mix of Greek and Roman sophists during this period. The inspiration was the first wave of of the Greek sophists. So, the, a lot of the inspiration and the knowledge and the ideas and the rhetoric and all that stuff was kind of taken from the the first period um some noble sophists from this period were uh Philostratus, um, Herodes um a- or um Her- Atticus, uh Alias Aristides, I don't know how to pronounce all these names. Yeah, uh, God bless you for even attempting. <laughs> Phaverinus, uh Lucian, Plutarch, uh Nicetas of uh Smyrna and Dio Christan- or Chrysostom. I believe is how you pronounce that name. Uh, Cicero, who's a famous uh, Roman philosopher, blamed Plato for creating the negative attitude towards sophists. Uh, Cicero was a rhetorician and part of the revival of sophism. Um, So he... Cicero, saying that if Plato... um, didn't portray the sophists in in a negative light, there wouldn't be this issue with the whole thing. Uh, But he blames Plato for separating uh, philosophy and sophistry. Uh, Let's let's see here. Roman elites preferred to be taught Greek history over their own Roman history. So that's what I was talking about, how they took a lot of the teachings and stuff from the first wave of the ancient Greek sophists and then that way of thinking. they obviously saw some sort of value there over their own history. So, and that's pretty much it. Beautiful. Do you have any other questions or? No, that was a good, uh,
0: good little lesson on all the sophists.
1: The sophists. I
0: still am just, I still think about what Plato's deal or not Plato, what Socrates's deal was like, was there some, did so, some sophist must've did something wrong to him or,
1: well if you i mean in, in if you actually read the dialogues he's not like mean to any of them they're not it's not like it's a dialogue is not a debate not even necessarily it's not it is in a way but it's it debate something different a, a debate takes into account like emotions and your your appeal to certain things a, a dialogue is just straight back and forth trying to get at truth kind of a, a conversation and a lot of the stuff when he gets into these dialogues with people, he's just asking them questions to help understand where they're coming from but also start to um, transition them into answering what he wants to know, which would be, what do you think about this topic? And then if they, you know... So, for instance, if he... Let's say he's having a conversation with... Uh, um Protagoras, you know, they're they're debating on virtue and all this stuff, and then um, Protagoras is saying, yeah, I teach a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and there's some of the the sophists would appeal to what they knew Socrates would want to hear to kind of get them out of out of the woods a little bit. However, he's going to keep driving home that point until he gets at what he's getting at. So, like in the Protagoras, um, the whole point was to get at the fact that if all nerd, if all virtue is knowledge, then it can be taught okay so if if he's always trying to get to the point where he's not winning in the sense like oh i got you kind of a thing it's more of like a collective understanding he's helping people arrive at yeah at like a new almost like a paradigm shift in a way maybe not been been as severe but like oh okay it's it's the thing where you get to the end and you're like oh that makes sense or oh Yeah, yeah that person got me have you ever had a a, a discussion or a debate with somebody where at the end you're like, oh, they just got me. That, that was better than what I had to say. That kind of a thing. It's of course. Yeah. Oh, Socrates was always kind of coming out on top in that regard because he wasn't doing it for money and he wasn't doing it. He actually has thought deeply about these topics and these subjects. So he knows where to go with them as whereas some of these people, again, there's maybe a surface knowledge or maybe they do have true knowledge, but it's since the intense, not pure than there's still that he's, you know, Socrates will always have that ethical upper hand or that moral upper hand. All right, and he's not accepting money, so all of this is because he has a love of wisdom and knowledge. So, but yeah, so, so and again, and the reason why he didn't write anything down is because he thought it would take away from, and you know, he wasn't a fan of of um, writing so and some people weren't and there's a lot of um there's something to be said about oral traditions as well too so um but that's kind of that so this was part 3 again if you're interested in this stuff we did a part 1 on pre-socratic philosophers some of the first uh, philosophers of ancient Greece part 2 was on uh Socrates Plato and Aristotle and yeah maybe
0: we can build a little playlist for them
1: and number 3 is going to be yeah, that's not a bad idea. Number three is going to be on uh, megalithic structures. No, the of, sophist is number three. Or, sorry, number number three was the sophist. Number four is going to be megalithic structures of Greece. And then I think number five is going to be uh, the Eleusinian Mysteries, and number six is going to be um, uh, mythology, Greek mythology so nice somebody has another suggestion too of some interesting part of ancient Greece that they want to see covered, you know, send us a message or something. We'll try and throw we it could in Squeeze there. it
0: into an episode too. But that's what a I'm cool.
1: thinking is, you know, six parter with those are the, the main ones that interest me. Um, so,
0: well, I think you've covered a lot of the stuff and all the stuff we have, and we'll get to in the next three halfway through this little mind journey. You're on mind escape, and
1: then we'll move on. You know, we'll we'll do ancient Egypt and maybe um, maybe ancient Rome too, and we'll go through some of the ancient civilizations and uh, and do it that way. Very um, good, sir. But yeah, so check us out at um, Patreon at Patreon.com/slash Mike and Maurice for two dollars a month. You'll get some exclusive uh, content and interviews. We do recently, I just put one up, uh, w- an extension of, L- with Laird Scranton from the episode we did with Laird on Gobekli Tepe. Uh, also there is a extra little bit there on that with Bruce Fenton, I believe. And, uh, so yeah, there's some newer stuff I've put up there and we'll be adding stuff on there here in the next couple weeks as well. So check that out. And again, thanks to our new patrons, Chris Lee and, uh, um Mr. Ferretti and uh that's it. Oh yeah, like us um on here and uh hit the subscribe button cuz I don't say that enough even though we're not really after that sort of thing but Right, but we should, we need to feather it in throughout. And uh if you're listening to this on an audio audio podcast, please subscribe and if you're listening on iTunes, please leave us a nice little uh you know, review. So and uh that'll do it have you have you guys a uh a happy beautiful weekend? weekend yeah happy beautiful weekend and uh stay warm if you're in the cold and uh stay cold if you're in the warm
0: yeah we're almost out of this the sun hasn't shined in weeks so we're looking forward to that
1: take that vitamin d folks if you're in the Midwest, <laughs> keep taking that vitamin d I know. I gotta.
0: I gotta take your advice and pump myself full of that
1: stuff. Get a little bit of vitamin D, a little magnesium. You know, you get a little bit, yeah. of, a little bit of everything. Good, good. All right, you guys have a good weekend. Peace. Cheers.